Welcome back to our, our study of the book of Proverbs. Today we are in chapter 5, and I'm going to read chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. So open up your Bibles, and let's begin. Verse 1. My son, give attention to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding. That you may observe discretion, and your lips may reserve knowledge. For the lips of an adulteress drip honey, and smoother than oil is her speech. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, her steps take hold of shield. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways are unstable. She does not know it. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. And uh, also... Uh, please pray with me and pray that God will give you understanding and help you see what's in the scriptures so that you can order your life according to what is written. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the privilege of being here. The privilege of being able to teach. Lord, I pray that you would guide me and empower me to explain what is written, not adding to it and not taking from it. And Father, I pray for all the, the young people and the children, maybe even some parents that will watch this. And I pray, dear God, that first of all, they would know your son. They would trust in him totally, e exclusively. And Father, I pray that they would grow in their knowledge of you through the scriptures and they would be conformed to the image of your son. I pray, Lord, for these children that will be raised in a very difficult and dark place. That, Father, you would strengthen them and that this next generation of believers would be granted such grace that they would far surpass their fathers. Oh God, please look down upon us. Look down upon these children and these youth. And give them wisdom in Jesus name. Amen. Now, I want you to see the great contrast between verse three and verses four through six. In verse three, it talks about the lips of the adulteress, or this could be an adulterer or anyone who's trying to tempt us to, to do anything or to think any thoughts that are contrary to the will of God. Now, it says, for the lips of an adulteress drip honey and smoother than oil is her speech. So when they first appear, when the temptation first appears, it seems like it's something not just good, but something extraordinarily good. Even we could use the word delicious. But that's just the propaganda, because when you get to verse four, you see the reality of what's going on. It says, but in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps take hold of Sheol. Now, what you need to understand is that when we're dealing with sin, it's not a small matter when we're dealing with temptation. 
um, it's a matter of life and death and not just temporal life or temporal death, I guess we could say physical death, but we're we're dealing with something even far more severe, eternal life and eternal death. These are matters of great importance. And that's why he says, you know, in verses one and two, incline your ear, listen, open your ear, stretch it out. You must hear what I'm saying. You must take heed to these warnings. Now, I want to just uh, in my notes here, I want to make sure that I I get everything that I've written down. I said, notice that her lips pour out honey. And at first, the taste may be very, very sweet. However, when it finally enters in to you, when it finally takes hold of your life, when you bite into that sin and that that sin is going to bite into you, it's going to be bitter. It's going to be painful. And it's going to be deadly. Now, I want you to understand these words that I'm using, they're not hyperbole. That means they're not uh, exaggerations. Giving in to temptation is a deadly thing. Now, it says here in verse four, but in the end, she is bitter as wormwood. Now, notice in verse three, there's nothing sweeter than honey. And that's the propaganda. But the reality is, in the end, when you bite into that sin, it is as bitter as wormwood. Now, I want us to look at the word bitter for a moment. It's very important. I'm going to show you some of the uses of bitter. In Exodus 15, 22 through 23, we read, Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur, And they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. Then they came to Marah. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Same word. Therefore, it was named Marah. Now, uh, one of the things we know is that uh, a person can live about three days without water. So what we need to understand is is these people were walking through the desert and they were very, very thirsty three days without water. So that means that even if they came across some water that was a little bit distasteful, a little muddy, they would have probably still drank that water. But here we see that they came across um, a water that was so bitter that even though they were thirsting, maybe to death, they would not and could not drink it. Again, you may be thirsting for some desire, and it may even be a good desire, but a temptation comes for you to meet that desire in a wrong way, a way that is contrary to the will of God. And you may think, I'm so thirsty for this, but once you bite into that sin, In the end, it's going to be bitter, so bitter that you will have wished that you hadn't uh, taken a bite. Now, there's another thing Um, in the book of Ruth, chapter one, verse 20. The word is used again. Um, It says after her, that's Naomi, after her husband and two sons died in a foreign land, Naomi said, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the almighty has dealt 
very bitterly with me. I, I'm an older man, and um, I've, I've had people that I, I greatly cherish um, pass away. My, my father died in my arms out in the middle of a field when I was 17. Um, my sister died when she was just 33 years old. And I remember getting the news. I was, I was in Peru and the phone rang and the first thing the person said, not very wisely was, Paul, your sister has died. And I remember just falling to the floor. Um, I loved her so much. At that moment, my, my gut was, was so, it was wrenching. It was, it was tied up in knots. Life seemed so bitter and so wrong. And, and the thing about it is, is, is like death, it was irreversible. And still to this day, there is a pain in my heart because of the loss of, of, of a sister that I, I dearly loved, that I grew up with. It's, it's a bitterness that for a young person who's not lost someone, it would be very, very hard to describe. And, and what he's saying is, is when the temptation comes, it will appear to be as sweet as honey, but in the end to you, it'll be like, like death, like someone so close to you has, has gone from you never to come again. And then it's used, there's a phrase that we use in English. Um, it's called, the phrase goes like this, bitter as gall. It's, it's the bile that comes out of the human uh, bladder. And it, it, it's, it, is, it is bitter, the gallbladder. It is bitter, bitter, bitter. The, some say there's nothing more bitter um, on the face of the earth. Now I want to share with you something. I, I met a, I knew, I knew a man who um, committed adultery. And uh, he told a son of his, that um, he said, son, since the day I committed adultery, my life has been as bitter as gall. And when he said that, it, it, about 30 years had passed since he had committed that sin against his wife, against his family, against God. And he said, even today, it's as bitter as gall. And what you need to know is that God forgives all types and kinds of sin. You need to understand that. And he can do great works of restoration in, in the deepest, most severe sinner. And yet you need to understand also that there are consequences to sin that we may never escape from in this life. That's why sin is not a, it's not a funny thing. It's a dangerous and deadly thing. Now, he goes on and he says, but in the end, she is as bitter as wormwood. Now, uh, again, in, in the Hebrew language, sometimes there's a, a piling up of terms one upon another in order to, to define or in order to emphasize something. If he had just said that in the end, she is bitter, that would be enough. But it says she is as bitter as wormwood. And the purpose here is to give greater and greater emphasis of, of just how bitter, painful 
sad the reality of sin can be in the life of a person. Now, what is wormwood? It was actually a bitter herb, very, very bitter, known to be the most bitter. So not just bitter, but an extraordinary bitterness. And in Deuteronomy 29, 18, the word is used with regard to a person who tempts to turn other people away from God in order to serve other gods. And they are likened, someone who does this, who tempts people to turn away from God, they're likened to a root bearing poisonous fruit and wormwood. So, so someone who is tempting you or, or any temptation, you need to see it not just as, as wormwood that is bitter, but you need to see it as poison that is deadly. You need to see it as poison that is deadly. Now, you may say in Deuteronomy 29, 18, Brother Paul, he's talking about a person who tempts other to turn away from God, not just to make a sin, not just to commit a certain sin. Well, what you need to understand is every sin in one sense or another, maybe primarily, is a turning away from God. You see, sin is evil. Uh, not, I mean, sin is evil because it could be committed against creation. It could be committed against a person or it could be committed even against an animal in a sense. But ultimately, sin is sin because it's committed against God. It is a turning away from God. It is a denial of who God is. Now, in Lamentations 3.15, uh, it's important to see here that wormwood is not only associated with bitterness, but also drunkenness. Now, when you know, sometimes uh, in theater and on television, and I suppose also probably you know on the internet, drunkenness is appears or is portrayed as as funny or comical. A person is drunk and they do silly things. Well, that 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 can be true. But what you need to see is, is, is drunkenness, when it reaches its, its final point, is, is deadly. There, there are people who have died from drunkenness. There are people who have done horrible things. There are people who have suffered physically so terribly because of drunkenness. And that's the idea, that, that you can become drunk with violence, we, we hear about that, don't we? Where a person is so enraged and so full of violence that they, they do horrible things, they act like a, a drunken man and do great damage to people. But you can be drunk with lust, where you feel like it must be satiated, you must feed, you must feed. But you can also be, be drunk with the consequences of your sin. Um, I, I don't want to be to be gross or, or extraordinary in this illustration, but I think it's important. You know, I, I used to work with 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 street people, and many of them were alcoholics. And sometimes I would have to go get them and find them and bring them back to the mission. And I have found people just curled up, um, full of pain, and and basically laying in their own vomit. That's the idea here. That's what sin does, but especially the sin of immorality. And, and it not only affects you, it affects everyone around you. 
And so you need to be very, very careful. Um, in Amos 6.12, wormwood is the fruit of sin and the very opposite of the fruit of righteousness. So the idea is this, is that when you're walking in righteousness and you're studying God's righteous law and you're seeking to be righteous, to conform your life, there's a fruit to it. But when you turn away from that path into any sin, but especially immorality, the fruit is not the fruit of righteousness. It's the fruit of evil, the fruit of sin. And then ultimately it leads to death. It's also interesting that in Revelation 8, 11, there is a star that is called Wormwood that falls into the water, makes it bitter and results in the death of many people. And here's again something that I want to tell you is that sometimes you'll hear, especially on TV, you know, people will say, well, what I do doesn't matter to you. It doesn't affect you. Well, that's not true, really. Uh, our sin, yes, can grievously affect us. But what you need to understand is that it affects those around us also. And this especially is in the case of, of immorality. If you commit immorality now, even though you're not married, it will affect your marriage. If you commit immorality in your marriage, it'll affect your wife or your husband, your children, your parents. Those around you could affect the church, those in your job. It, it has this, this, this rippling effect, like dropping a stone in the water and you see the ripples go out from it. So our sin does the same thing. For example, let's say you're a young person in your home and you're always angry. Do you think you're just angry unto yourself and that it's affecting you? No, it's affecting absolutely everyone around you. And that's the way that sin is. Now, what does all this, you know, I put so much emphasis on bitterness and wormwood. Why, why am I doing that? Well, it's to show you that any kind of sin, immorality, it results in a gut-wrenching bitterness and death. And you say, well, are you trying to, uh, to scare us? Uh, yes, I am. Because there's some things of which you should be afraid. You, you really should. So now let's go on. Let's look at verse 4. Uh, continue with verse, verse 4. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. I've written down here the relationship with an adulterous person not only results in bitterness of life, but it will also deeply wound you and it will deeply wound those around you. Sin is as sharp as a two edged sword. Now, literally, this phrase sharp as a two edged sword is sharp as a sword with two mouths. OK, so imagine for a moment. Young person, just imagine what is immorality like? What is sin like? Imagine a sword with a mouth full of teeth on both sides. And everything it touches, it is gnawing and tearing and devouring. Just picture that for a moment in your mind that that's a that's a scary picture. 
But I can assure you that no matter what you imagine in your mind, it is not as frightful as sin truly is. Now, I want you to think about something for a moment. One of the most honored persons in all the Old Testament was King David. I mean, we we love King David. King David, you know, um, he slew Goliath. King David fought, you know, the enemies of God. King David wrote most of the Psalms. He was the, 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 the shepherd of Israel. He was a king. He did so many noble things. But what happened? He had an affair with Bathsheba. He took another man's wife. Now, don't just think he took another man's wife, but also he betrayed his own wife. And in a sense, betrayed his children. And he took another man's wife. He committed adultery, the very thing that we're talking about. And here's what I want you to see. If you study David's life, his family, his kingdom, and his joy was never the same. There are some scholars regarding the book of Psalms that say you can see a difference even in the Psalms of David after his sin with Bathsheba. It affected everyone, but especially David was known as a man of God. So when he fell, all the enemies of God, well, that was wonderful for them, wasn't it? Because all they now they had all kinds of ammunition so that even though David repented and he did repent. Can you imagine for the rest of his life, there were always these doubts for the rest of his life, not just doubts, but um, snickering, laughing in the shadows, people making fun of him, people calling him a hypocrite. Oh, yeah, you're the great uh, psalm writer and you're the great man of God and you're the great man of faith and all this. But look what you did. Do you see? There is a shame that can come upon us that, yes, God can remove in eternity. But there's another sense in which in this life we never lose it. That's with regard to all sin, but especially with the sin of immorality, of adultery. Now, I want you to look at another way in which David's adultery um, really impacted other people. So, you know, from from the relationship between David and and Bathsheba, there was a, a son, Solomon. Can you imagine one day Solomon is 16 years old or something and he comes to David and he says, Father, David goes, yes. How did you meet mom? Can you imagine how David would have to answer that question? Well, I I saw her on a rooftop. Oh, wow. Did you go see her? Well, she was bathing. Well, did you turn away? I'm sure you did. Didn't you, Father? Well, no, I, I, I went there. Had her called to me. Okay, well, you know, she... It was, she was single. Well, no, she wasn't. She was, she was married. Well, I, I suppose, yes, she was married, but I guess her husband died in war, I heard. Well, he did because I planned it. 
Now, when you look at Solomon's life and you realize he had 700 wives and 300 concubines, do you think that maybe David's sin impacted his own son? Do you see how what we do impacts everyone, everyone around us? Now, young person, I, I want you to know something. I, we, we have to make clear, make sure you're understanding that, that God forgives sin. He, he forgave David's sin. He, he forgave Manasseh's sin. I mean, one of the most wicked kings in all of Israel, he forgave him. God forgives and he takes our sin and casts it as far from us as the east is from the west. It's like he doesn't just bury it in shallow water, but he casts it into the deepest part of the sea and we can be restored. But but what I want you to see is that. There are consequences to sin. A man, for example, who who spends his life drinking and in drunkenness and he becomes a Christian. That, that's wonderful. And, and all his sins are removed. But maybe he's done so much damage to his body that he will suffer for the rest of his life. So realize there is forgiveness and there is pardon and there can be great restoration. But at the same time, a, a wise man is afraid of sin. And for these reasons that I've given you, we should be afraid of sin and we should avoid it. We should avoid it. And one of the best ways to avoid it, or really the only way, is to make sure that we're meditating on the Scripture and we're seeking to align our life with the Scriptures. And also, especially for young people, listen to godly parents, but also surround yourself with godly people. You know, there are some people who they don't want to be around anyone better than them because they feel like they want to be number one all the time. I found it very helpful to try to be around people who in the Lord are more mature, wiser, because it's kind of like a protection, a defensive wall to protect you. Well, when we come back, we're going to look at uh, more aspects of sin, the dangers of sin and realize this. With regard to sin, there's only one savior. And that savior is Jesus Christ. If I died right now, I would go to heaven, not because I've made progress in holiness, not because I keep the commands of God or do good works. None of that saves. If I died right now, I would be in the presence of the Lord because Jesus Christ died for sinners. Remember what I always told you in the other studies. Um, we study the law of God and it tells us we're sinners and sends us to Jesus. We study the book of Proverbs and it tells us we're foolish and sends us to Jesus. In every case, we need Jesus. God bless you. Let's pray. Father, I pray for the young people that have heard this sermon, that they, dear God, would grow in their fear of thee and grow in their fear of sin, but that they would live also with joy and confidence in Jesus Christ and his finished work on Calvary. In Jesus' name, 